Good morning, Renaissance. Uh, one of the things that I love the most about this church, uh, if you're new to Renaissance, or if you're new uh, to church in general, you're going to love this place, uh, is that we are a family. And uh, when my wife and I first set out to, to start this church, uh, we really didn't have any intention on starting a church service, right? Our, our goal wasn't to, to throw a really good Sunday morning uh, experience. Our goal was to start a community of people that lived life together as a family. And uh, Renaissance family, as, as your pastor, I got to come out and just say it that today uh, I'm, I'm hurting pretty bad. On this, this, this last week has been one of the, the heaviest weeks uh, in my adult life, and uh, I, it's a particular pain and experience that is almost hard to describe. Uh, last week, uh, a young man named Akai Gurley was uh, shot and killed uh, in, in Brooklyn. And this past Monday, uh, the grand jury in, in Ferguson, Missouri, decided to not indict uh, Darren Wilson. And it's almost a weird experience of trying to explain the particular pain and, and, and I felt in, in, my, in my entire body uh, that moment. It felt like being kicked in the stomach. Uh, growing up, uh, I, I remember all too vividly what it feels like to be driving a car and to be pulled over by the police for probably doing 40 in a 30 mile an hour zone. And the cops, instead of coming with a ticket pad, they came with their hands on their guns. And I know what it feels like to sit and have my hands clenched on the, on the steering wheel, uh, terrified that if I were to reach for something too fast, who knows what could have happened to me. And as a black man, th this last week has, has hurt me and has felt uh, absolutely terrible. Now, the 800-pound gorilla in this room is that we are a very diverse congregation. We have uh, blacks and whites and Latinos and Asians. We have everybody. And uh, my goal this morning is not to, is, is not to talk about uh, any issue that would divide us. Uh, but if you are, are feeling like me, it's to voice our pain in a certain way. And if you can't feel my particular pain, I'm asking you as your brother uh, to mourn with me. Because uh, as we, we long for justice in this country, it doesn't feel like we've gotten any. And that image of Mike Brown being on the ground, his body uncovered, uh, haunts me to this day. And it reminds me of a time in this country when it was all too common for black men to be killed uh, and, their, and their killers go free. Now, this might not be your particular pain, and it doesn't have to be. You don't have to agree with my particular stance on Ferguson, uh, and nor is it my intention to go into those details of what happened or what did not happen that day. But I think we have to answer the question in all of our lives, uh, what do you do when you don't feel like praying? When you're so angry or you're so disillusioned or you're so hurt that prayer is the last thing that you want to do. And it was funny that this Tuesday morning, I woke up to, to write a message on prayer, and I sat in front of my computer for about four or five hours, and I might have gotten a paragraph. I had no words to say, nothing that was going on inside of me, because I didn't feel like praying. Now, your particular pain might not be Ferguson. It might be a host of other things. Uh, but there's going to come a time in your life when you're feeling so angry, so disillusioned, so sad, that prayer becomes incredibly difficult. And I found out that this week, uh, one very particular thing, that if our prayer lives can't work for us when we're angry, if our prayer lives cannot work for us when we are dismayed, when we are sad, when we are hurt, 
uh, when we've experienced a, a miscarriage or we've uh, broken a relationship or we've gotten fired or there's a cancer diagnosis in our family or a, a host of a million different things that could be causing us immense pain, what do we do then? What do we do when the last thing we want to do is pray? Now, there's a couple of ways that we can uh, handle these uh, situations, uh, whatever your particular situation is. And, I, and I've done basically all three of these this week. I've probably done all three of these this morning. Uh, the first thing that we can do is we can repress our pain. And we can pretend like it doesn't exist. We can push it down and try to push it aside and get it out of our minds because it's so bothersome. The relationship or, or, or the issue that's in our, live, our lives is so troubling to us that we'll try to do anything to not think about it. And this is why some people go out and they drink too much trying to suppress and, and push the pain away because the last thing they want to actually do is think about it because it is incredibly painful. The second thing that people do is uh, the opposite, is that we let our emotions guide us, right? This is what it, it feels like if we say that uh, if I feel it, then this is what I'm going to do. If I feel angry, then I'm going to be angry and lash out. And I believe that this is a reason that so many people are, are, are violently protesting and, and burning up buildings and tearing stuff apart because they're letting their emotions guide them. And I, I can't front, I, I bet it probably feels really, really good to throw a brick through a window when you're angry. But that's not going to do anything good. It's not going to do anything productive. In fact, it's going to do the complete opposite. But in our moments of immense pain and frustration and sadness and anger, that uh, we shouldn't repress it. We definitely should not repress it. But in the alternate, we shouldn't just let our emotions guide us. There's a third way. And that third way is we have to pray through our pain. Now, as soon as you hear that, you might start to just immediately roll your eyes like, come on, man, pray through our pain. At a time like this, uh, when, when I'm feeling so frustrated, so angry, so sad, the last thing I want to do is pray. But if what I call prayer doesn't answer my deepest angers and frustrations and hurts, then I don't want it. If what we call prayer doesn't meet us in our greatest times of need, that prayer life isn't worth having. If the only time prayer works for us is when we get everything that we want, that prayer life isn't worth having. And uh, as a matter of fact, some of the greatest moments some of the greatest prayers throughout scripture and throughout history were prayed at life's most frustrating and painful moments. Now, last week we talked about prayer, and we talked about three different things that we could do to increase and to improve our prayer lives. And the first thing we said we have to do is we have to fight for solitude. In a, in a day and age where we are inundated, we are constantly bombarded with Twitter and Facebook and email and CNN and nonstop 24-hour breaking news, uh, we have to fight for solitude. Because these things are fighting for your attention, and if you don't intentionally disengage from Vine and Instagram and emails and work and all the different voices in your head, you're never going to have solitude. You're never going to have time alone, and we have to fight for solitude. The second thing we mentioned was that uh, we have to start praying exactly where we are. Now, this basically means you don't need a master's in divinity to start praying. Uh, and it also means that you don't need to start feeling better before you start praying that we are to start praying exactly where we are. Whatever that feeling is, whatever that emotion is, start praying there. And third, uh, we, have to, we said that we have to pray the Psalms. Now, the prayer book of the Bible is the Psalms. It was written by David and, and a host of other men, uh, and these were prayers prayed at various points of their lives. And if we want to learn what it means to pray, 
uh, we should immerse ourselves in, in a culture, in a world of prayer. Case in point, if you want to learn how to speak Spanish, the best way for you to learn how to speak Spanish is to go to a Spanish-speaking country and immediately and fully immerse yourself in that culture. And it won't happen overnight, but eventually what's going to happen is this. You're going to start to learn how to speak, how to think, how to talk, how to, how to understand, how to listen in that language, in Spanish. And before you know it, you're going to be speaking and, 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 and conversing with people in a language that you did not know before. And for us, one of the best ways to improve our prayer lives is to immerse ourselves in the Psalms, to read the book of the Bible of prayer. And by immersing ourselves in the Psalms, we will start to learn what it means to pray. And then in our highest moments and in our lowest, we would learn what it means to pray. Jesus himself did this when he was on the cross being crucified. He prayed Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was borrowing language from scripture to help him in his deepest, darkest pain. And you know what? You and I should do the same thing. So in a time in our lives where we're hurting and angry and frustrated or sad, uh, what do we do? I once read an article by Tim Keller. He's a pastor and theologian and author in, in New York City. And he said that uh, when we look at the Psalms, it invites us into three different, to do three different things. One, we should expect pain. Two, we should invest our pain. And three, we should pray our pain. We should expect it, we should invest it, and we should pray through it. I want us to look at Psalm 13, uh, and it's a painful period for the author, uh, David. Now, this is the same David from David and Goliath. You guys have heard of that story, David and Goliath, right? So David was a shepherd, and he shows up to uh, the camp where his brothers and other men were fighting, and there's this big dude, he's like Shaquille O'Neal size, and he's defying the entire armies of the living God. And he's saying, yo, he's calling people out to shoot the five, to shoot the one on, saying, if we, we're going to fight and whoever wins basically is going to be uh, serve the other nation. And everybody in Israel is, is nervous and, and scared. They're like, yo, I'm not going after this guy. And then David shows up and he uh, um, goes out with his slingshot and he kills Goliath. Now, David had done an amazing thing, and everybody uh, heard about his story, and everybody started talking about how great David was, and everybody loved David except for one person, the ultimate hater, then uh, the king at the time, Saul. And Saul hated uh, David so much, he was jealous of him because of how much fame David was getting and how many people loved David and preferred David even over him, that he put out a hit on David's life. And David is writing this, this prayer at a moment when he is literally in a cave, running for his life, scared to death because the king is trying to kill him. So here's what David prays. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now the first point is probably one of the most critical is this, that even if you're doing everything right in life, bad stuff could still happen to you. So, you know, us Christians have this little lie that we like to believe, and it's this, that if I do the right thing, if I cross all my T's and I dot all my I's, 
and I, you know, I, I don't steal and I don't kill and I don't rob and I don't lie to my boss and I'm honest on my taxes and I do all the things that I'm supposed to do, then nothing bad will happen to me. But here we see in Scripture that David uh, was being hunted down because of his obedience to God, because he had done an amazing thing. And David was probably at the highest point in his life. He had had an, an amazing accomplishment. He killed Goliath. He was faithful to God, and yet his life is still in danger. And even if you and I do everything good, bad stuff could still happen to us. Jesus made us a promise. He says, in this world, you know what? You're going to have trials and tribulations. You, in this world, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. It's a promise from God to us that bad things sometimes do happen to good people. Oftentimes, the worst things happen to good people. And if we don't get this point, we'll be doubly sad. And what do I mean by that? If we don't get the point that bad things happen to good people, if we don't get the point that it's not about us uh, if we do good things and only good things will happen to us, if we don't get that, we'll be doubly sad. We'll be sad that the bad thing is happening to us, and we'll also be angry and frustrated that, God, I thought I did everything right. How dare you let this happen? How dare you let uh, this, this, this situation arise even though I have done everything right? And the first thing we need to learn is that we need to expect pain. There's no departure from the story of your life. This is not a detour from God's plan from your life. This is God's plan for your life. And the type of joy and the type of a character that God wants to develop in your life only comes this way. Secondly, to invest our pain. Now, I'm using this word deliberately because uh, a lot of us in here own like one share of Apple. It's like $1,000 a share or something like that. You can't, nobody can afford that. Um, but... To invest our pain, David says this phrase in, in, Psalm, 5, in Psalm 13, verse 5. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. So check this out. So David is, is giving the list of how, how terrified and angry he was at God, and then he turns here to say, but I trust in your unfailing love. And this is David investing his pain. Now, when you trust in something, it's almost like a farmer who plants a seed. Uh, you put it into the ground, you cover it with dirt, and you hope that something good is going to happen in the future. But the essence of trust is that you will not see immediate results. The essence of trust is that I'm going to put my faith in this and that I'm not going to see immediate results. But I'm going to trust that God is going to bring about life in this situation. Trusting in God is essentially investing because we will not see the immediate results that we're hoping for. So we can't avoid our tears and our pain. We can't avoid them. We can't push them down. And at the same time, we shouldn't just repress them. We should just, we have to pray through our pain and our tears. So how do we do that? Uh, how do we actually do it? It sounds good, right? Like David did it and man, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do that. How do we pay, pray through our pain and our tears and our frustration and our anger? Now, one of the things that I love about this psalm is that it's, it's open and it's raw and it's honest and David doesn't hold any punches. But the way that you and I see God will determine our lives, our prayer lives in situations like this, and I'm going to personalize it, that this past week I felt like three things. One, I felt like God didn't want to hear my angry ranting. I felt like he did not, the only thing I had to say in prayer was angry and ranting and that God doesn't want to hear that. The second thing I felt was that even if God heard it or he was cool with me uh, being angry and sad in prayer, that God didn't understand. 
He doesn't understand what I'm going through. He doesn't understand what it feels like to live in New York City, to witness this happen over and over and over again. He doesn't understand. And the third thing I felt was that even if God allowed me to rant and to be angry and to, and to pray like this, and even if you understood, then it wasn't going to do anything anyway. Why pray? It's not going to even do anything. All of these things I live with. But God can handle our, our emotions. God can handle your anger. God is not going to step off the throne and, 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 and cry and weep uh, because you, you have lost faith in his immediate deliverance. God is God and is not dependent on us and how much we like it. Now, the, imagine we asked somebody to come up and pray, and this was their prayer. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Amen. Now, how many of us would think that that is a faithful prayer? You'd probably be thinking, don't ever let that lady pray again because she, <laughs> she got some issues. Now, my wife and I got married pretty fast after we met, and we went to a, a premarital counselor, and the premarital counselor gave us an amazing piece of advice. She said, listen, you, you guys are compatible and all the stuff, that's good, yada, 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 but don't get married until you've gotten to, into your first real angry fight. Because the measure of true love, the measure of fidelity, the measure of a strong relationship isn't in the I love you's and the Valentine's Day cards and giggling. The measure of a real relationship is how you fight. The measure of a true relationship is how you fight and how you come out of disagreeing, of being angry with each other, of being sad, of being disappointed. And this is the real litmus test of a relationship. And I believe that David knew this. And this is why David could pray angrily, that David could pray uh, accusing God of, of, of leaving him, accusing God of not being in control. David could keep it all the way 100 with God because he understood that God was his father and a real relationship almost requires and demands passion and disagreement. The first thing we have to understand is that God's, the God of grace can handle our anger and our frustration and our pain, and we don't have to give God sanitized versions of our thoughts. We don't have to approach God with a sanitized, uh, nicely cute and, and packaged prayer that sounds really pious and really hopeful. We can go to God with our raw emotions, and God honors that. Secondly, uh, I think this might be the most important. Some of us don't pray, and I didn't pray it a lot uh, this week because I struggled with wondering whether or not God understood, whether or not God felt my pain, whether or not God could actually enter into my world. Uh, but when we uh, read through Scripture, we, we see a different narrative than sometimes uh, the God that I accuse of not understanding me. We see a God that came down through Jesus and inhabited this world and went to the cross. And while Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And what Jesus was saying was this, I'm so sad, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so burdened, I might die even before they take me to the cross. And this Jesus understands our pain. This Jesus understands our frustration. This Jesus understands our sadness. This Jesus understands all of these feelings, and yet he calls us to pray to him. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
that whenever we see this, we don't have to run away from God, that we can trust that God fully and completely understands us. Uh, last week, I mentioned that uh, I was widowed when I was 27 years old. My, wife, my late wife passed away. And I remember at this time um, really not being able to find solace or peace in, in talking to anybody, family, friends. Uh, it, it, it all felt like I was talking to a brick wall and nothing uh, was comforting. It was actually pretty frustrating talking to people. I knew they didn't understand what I felt, and as well-meaning as they were, they couldn't help. But there was some dude in Florida. Uh, to this day, I've still never met him. Uh, but we talked a number of times on the phone, and he had lost his wife about a year and a half before I did. And I remember calling him and being on the phone, and I don't even know if he ever said anything that was, like, profound. Probably didn't. But I knew that in my speaking to him, he understood my pain. I knew that he knew what it felt like to bury his wife. I knew that whatever he would say wasn't going to be something he read out of a book. It wasn't going to be a cute quote somewhere. He understood me. And we can come to God in prayer. We should go to God in prayer because God understands our pain. He understands our hurt. He understands our frustrations. He understands our sadness. And the last and, and probably most defeating thing we can ever believe uh, about prayer is this, that even if God uh, allows us to be angry and to be sad and to do all these different things, and even if we don't have to give God a, a, a nicely sanitized version of prayer, and even if he does understand that it's not going to do anything anyway, we're, gonna, we're wasting our time. The bad people are winning. The jerks are getting the promotions at work. The bad girls are the ones getting married. The world is broken. The system are broken. Killers go free, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Will this prayer even do anything? So we don't pray. And either we repress the feelings that we're having, we try to ignore and push them down, or we let our emotions guide us. David has a different approach in Psalm 13, that he had the trust and patience that even if he kept doing the right, if he kept doing the right thing, good things would happen. Now David ends his psalm by saying this, uh, but I trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. In the middle of the situation, while him being on a run, before the situation has been resolved, David had faith and assurance that uh, he, could be, he could remain hopeful for the future. Now, in, before the situation got any better, David makes this statement that, uh, that I think we cannot ignore he says something in verse uh, uh, 6, that I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. See, the thing that touched David's heart was this. What God has done in the past is an assurance that God will move in the future. That I can trust God in this moment, in a dark time. I can trust God in the future because, simply because of what he has done in the past. What is it that we remember about God in our lives? What is it that you think about God when you close your eyes? In the book of Exodus, uh, it's a story about the children of Israel being freed from captivity. They were in slavery for about 400 years. And finally, one day, God delivers them from slavery in Egypt. And they're crossing through the Red Sea. And as they're crossing through the Red Sea, God gives them an, a, an instruction, a command. He says, pick up some stones out of the middle of the Red Sea, out of the middle of the Red Sea. And these are going to be called stones of remembrance that I want you to remember uh, what I did for you in delivering you from captivity, from Egypt, into your promised land. 
And even though you're going to be in the desert for years and years and years on your way to the promised land, that whenever you start to doubt, I want you to pick up your stone and remember what God has done for you in the past. And if the largest things in our lives are our problems, the injustices, the pain, the disappointments, it's going to be impossible for us to remember what God has done for us. Now, this is the gospel message that we talk about every single week, and I think that deep, in a deep level in our hearts, uh, when, when pain arises, it causes us to have a confrontation with the gospel. And the gospel message is this, that God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you, and that's not it. The better news is that not only did Jesus die for your sins, but he also raised from the dead. Now, if this is the picture of Jesus, if this is the stone of remembrance, if this is what God has done in our lives, then I, I don't think we can be frustrated or, or dismayed or, or give up and fear that God isn't with us. I don't think we can fear that God won't actually bring reconciliation because if he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can work in our world and he can see his kingdom restored. Now, in, in, in a couple minutes at, at Renaissance, one thing we do every single week is we take communion. And communion is a practice that dates back 2,000 years to when Jesus uh, was right about to go to uh, the crucifix and be crucified. And basically what Jesus was saying was this, that in just a couple, uh, in just a day or so, in just a little bit, I'm going to be crucified for your sins. And Jesus gives us a, a, a way to remember him. He told his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. And that there's a, uh, he passed around some bread. He says, this is my body that was broken for you. And he, take around, he, t- he passed around some, some wine. He says, now this is my blood which was poured out for you. And uh, the only way we'll have a, a, a prayer life that, that is actually sustainable, the only way that we'll actually be able to uh, have faith in the darkest of moments is if we look to our stone of remembrance, is if we look to the, uh, to the cross of Jesus, and in that cross realize that God loves us so much that he sent his only son Jesus for us, and that God is so powerful that not even death could hold him. And for me, uh, this past week, I've had to, to, to immerse myself in that truth because outside of that truth, you know what? It's pretty disappointing. It's pretty disappointing. In Second uh, Corinthians or 1 Corinthians, Paul gives instructions to that church on how to take communion. He says, listen, don't just hop up everybody and take communion because just know this, whoever uh, is taking communion is proclaiming the Lord's return. So he's basically saying this, every time you and I take communion, you're saying implicitly and explicitly that Jesus is coming back through me, through this world, that the Lord is going to return. And today, I don't know what your uh, specific uh, pain or or frustration is. It might be over Thanksgiving. Uh, So many of us have a great day on Thanksgiving, but uh, the suicide and depression rates are the highest over Thanksgiving and Christmas. You want to know why? Because it reminds all of us of the the dysfunction and the pain and who's not here and all of the things that are going on wrong. But today, as we get ready to take communion, we're proclaiming the Lord's return. We're saying that Jesus is coming back and he is bringing uh, uh, restoration and renewal and justice will roll down like a river. And we can trust God and we can pray because we know that God is actively uh, restoring this world. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we can uh, uh, think through the words of Jesus as he reminds us in the Gospel of John, take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Father, uh, your Gospel reminds us that not only do you care about us, but God, you're in control. And even in our darkest moments, 
Uh, we can have faith and pray through our, pray, our pain because you hear us. And Father, I don't know what the particular uh, hang-ups and frustrations and pains are among the people in this congregation today. Uh, but God, I, I pray that we wouldn't repress our pain. I pray that we wouldn't just pretend like it doesn't exist or try to drink the pain away. God, at the same time, I pray that we wouldn't uh, just go out and let our emotions be uh, the guide for us. But God, that we would stop and center ourselves around you, around your truth. God, that you are all-powerful and you are working to renew all things. God, help us to have faith in you. God, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.